Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is ValueSide for Friday, September 1st. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit ValueSide.com. Well, today, Ukraine, the twisted road to war. Well, when this conflict in Ukraine began, it all seemed so black and white, so clear-cut. Russia, in a wanton act of aggression and with no provocation, had invaded Ukraine. And, as is often the case throughout our history, America rode to the rescue of Ukraine. But as time passes, that initial confirmation has all but faded away. New facts have come forth, and the American public has discovered that things were not at all like they appeared in February of 2022. Now, the area we know as Ukraine has for centuries been marked by conflict and revolt. However, modern Ukraine can trace its roots back directly to the early 20th century when several factions in the region sought independence while Russia was undergoing the Bolshevik Revolution. The Ukrainians failed to achieve complete independence, but were allowed to remain as a semi-autonomous state under the former Soviet Union. It served Ukraine well during the Second World War, and when the war ended, the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic enjoyed peace and prosperity. Now, in 1954, Pravda, the official newspaper of the Soviet Union, published a short announcement that drew little attention at the time, but would have a profound implications for the 21st century. Pravda announced that on February 19th, the oblast of Crimea would be transferred from the Soviets to the Ukraines. It was an incredibly odd move for Khrushchev and the Kremlin to make, given that Crimea was approximately 80% ethnic Russian at the time. But given that the entire region remained under Soviet control, it seemed that there would be little real change for Crimea. However, 37 years later, everything did change. The year was 1991, and it was the year that the Soviet Union fell. Suddenly, all of those Eastern European Baltic states were cut free, free from the iron fist of the Soviets, and free to form their own independent countries. Now, the first of three historic referendums would be held for Ukraine. In 1991, the citizens of Ukraine voted to become an independent state. By nearly a 90% margin, the modern country of Ukraine was born. And from its birth, Ukraine has been the gemstone of global geopolitics, a country rich in natural resources. In terms of geography, it has the second largest nation in Europe, second only to Russia, And in the past two years, we've seen how crucial Ukrainian wheat and fertilizer are to the world's agricultural production. So it should be no surprise that Ukraine has been foremost in Russian and American efforts to extend their political reach. 2004 began a 15-year period when the tussle between these two great powers, Russia and the U.S., threatened to surface. In that year, an election was held in Ukraine, and America's favorite candidate, Viktor Yushchenko, lost. Immediately, the two groups that were monitoring the election protested. Washington-based National Democratic Institute and Washington-based Freedom House both claimed the elections were rigged and cited polls indicating that Yushchenko should have an 11-point lead. At the same time, The American-based NGOs called foul, 
demonstrators broke out in Kiev. Protesters filled the streets of Ukraine's capital, calling for a re-election. Organized by a group named Pora, that means it's time, they adopted as their symbol the orange, and hence Ukraine became part of that unique event, the Color Revolution. These were popular, quote-unquote, uprisings that all occurred in the first five years of the new century, and all took place in countries formerly part of the Soviet Union's empire. There were four of these color revolutions in all, Serbia in 2000, Georgia in 2003, Kyrgyzstan in 2005, and this revolution in Ukraine in 2004. Watching this all from his seat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee was the future U.S. President Joe Biden. And like his close compatriot John McCain, Biden made up the loudest votes for the color revolutions within the U.S. Congress. He called his policies towards Eastern Europe while in the Senate, quote, his proudest moments in public life. That was back in 2007. Isn't it remarkable that all four color revolutions supported American candidates and opposed Russian? But rest assured that the U.S. State Department, most of the fact checkers, and nearly all of the U.S. press tell us that the color revolutions were all simply popular uprisings of local citizens. Then in 2014 came the second of three critical Ukraine referendums. That year, the citizens of Crimea voted overwhelmingly to join the Russian Federation. Crimea officials report that the vote was 95% in favor of becoming part of the Russian Federation. Now, at the same time that Crimea was breaking free from Ukraine, the twin oblasts of Donetsk and Luhansk were also seeking their independence from Kiev. For more than a decade, hostilities existed between the local militias of the Donbass and the Ukrainian army, at the time the largest army in Europe. With much of that fighting between the citizen army of Donbass and such elite fighting forces for Ukraine as the brutal Azov Brigade. Now in 2014, the turmoil in Ukraine had reached the point that something had to be done to bring a halt to what had now become known as the Donbass War. So in stepped the European Union. Under the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, talks took place in Minsk, Belarus. The first agreement in 2014 was a complete failure, with battles renewing between the Ukrainian army and the Donbass separatists almost immediately. So a second conference was convened, and on February 12, 2015, Minsk II was agreed to and endorsed. The agreement halted the fighting and granted self-government to Donbass, principally to the Donetsk People's Republic and to the Luhansk People's Republic. Now to this day, the United States has refused to recognize these two independent republics, despite each republic holding a referendum in which over 90% approval of independence was reached. However, as significant as the actions of the Minsk Agreement were, important things were also happening away from the diplomatic conference. Back in Washington, D.C., President Obama had appointed his vice president, Joe Biden, as the, quote, point man on Ukraine. So while VP Biden did not attend Minsk, he was the chief voice in reacting to the agreement. 
Biden pushed hard to implement a series of sanctions against the Russian Federation. In 2014, the European Union and the United States began a broad program of sanctions against Russia for its, quote, invasion of Crimea, unquote. By framing Russian actions in Crimea as an invasion, Biden completely ignored the Crimean referendum, where the citizens of Crimea, as we said, voted by more than 95 percent to join Russia. Nonetheless, the now-American president has continued to characterize the actions of Russia in this way. Flash forward to December 7, 2022, came the second major bomb for anyone trying to understand the background of the Ukraine conflict. In an interview with the German publication Dizitz, and subsequently confirmed by other public statements, the former German chancellor and chairperson of the Minsk Conference, Angela Merkel, made it clear that her objectives were to give Ukraine sufficient time to strengthen its military. Quote, The 2014 Minsk agreement was an agreement to buy time for Ukraine. Ukraine used this time to become stronger, as you see today. Ukraine in 2014 and 15 and Ukraine today are not at all the same. It was clear that the agreement settled little, she said, but it was exactly what gave Ukraine the priceless time. So here is the chairperson of the Minsk Protocol telling the world that the objective of the agreement was not to bring peace, but to give Ukraine more time to prepare for an ever-widening war. And that's precisely how the Russians understood her statements. In the words of Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharva, the things that Merkel said in her interview, this is a testimony of a person who stated directly that everything that was done in 2014 and 15 had only one goal, to divert the global community's attention from the real problems, to buy some time, to pump the Kiev regime with weapons, and to, and to lead the situation to a large-scale conflict. And of course, that's just what happened. Ukraine today is embroiled in Europe's most significant military conflict since the Second World War. For most Americans, myself included, the February 24, 2022 event hit like a bolt from the blue. Suddenly, from out of nowhere, Russian troops steamed into Ukraine. It seemed unfathomable. Why would Russia do such a thing? What would happen next? For many of us, the last year and a half have been a time of high anxiety. The threat of this regional conflict morphing into a worldwide thermonuclear holocaust is all too real. But as I read the history of this past quarter century, I realized that many of our leaders have either been preparing for this battle or fighting it for most of that time. For Vladimir Putin, the conflict is in his backyard almost since the beginning. For the leaders of Europe, Angela Merkel and the rest, their neighbors have been fighting for just as long. And now for President Biden, the Ukraine conflict has been the cornerstone of his career during his entire tenure as senator, vice president, and now president. The war of Ukraine is no spur-of-the-moment event but a long-term exercise in force and influence. Our leaders have been at war for years. It's only you and I who have recently found that out. 
And that's the value side for Friday, September 1st. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. I'm David Ravel. ValueSide is independently written and researched. The views expressed are strictly my own.